talking about precipitation. I'm talking Father God, He gave Jesus the nations, and He's ruling now, even over pagans. One day He's coming back. You just gotta have patience. All hell. King Jesus. All hell. King Jesus. All Welcome to Dat Post Mill, the podcast where when we don't have Dustin Raynham, we have no idea how to make jokes. So, sorry. That's the anti-joke. Anybody got a better one? That's all I got, guys. Um, I'll take that as a no. Welcome welcome to Dat Post Mill, where when Dustin's not here, we all speak in really bad Minnesota accents. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I'm not even going to try a Minnesota accent because I just, I don't, I don't try things that I feel like I'm going to fail at because that post mail. You know what I've started saying now after every meal I have? I say uh, dessert. It's that post meal. That was actually pretty good, but you got to put some more oomph into it. Like every time, every time after dinner, I start to eat dessert and I'm like, hey, this is that post meal. Hey, oh. And that's when you like make a face at everybody so that they know that you're actually telling a joke because your jokes are lame. Yep. Anyway. That's the way it is. So uh, yeah, this is Dap Postmail. I am Colin Pearson. I am Adam Moore, and I make stupid jokes. I am John Howell, and I am uh, I'm just along for the ride. I'm Shaney Eddiemi, and I'm frequently not on that post mill. <laughs> <laughs> and we have a special guest with us here today. Other than, I don't know if you consider Shaney a guest. He's technically a co-host, but he just never shows up. <laughs> How dare you? How dare each and every one of you? A recent, a recent episode that we had, we uh, I think it was two weeks ago, we discussed uh, Batman versus Superman. And we, um, we actually had a listener who also happens to have contributed music for us. Yeah. If you've listened to the first nine episodes of Dat Postmail, you know Jovan McKenzie. And he was he was incensed at our blasphemy of Batman. So welcome Jovan McKenzie to set us straight on Batman. Hey, how y'all doing? Thanks for having me. Thanks for being on, dude. Jovan, two things. One, thank you for your ministry and your music. Uh we were really blessed by that. Not just the, the, the one joint for the song, but just everything that you do. So thank you for that. And two, we didn't blaspheme Batman. Matter of fact, I was the only one sticking up for Superman. So I need to know where where did you see blasphemy? This charge of blasphemy <laughs> is very disconcerting to me. So I'm, I'm, glad, I'm glad you asked, man, because I actually have a uh, some notes in front of me. Uh, <laughs> actually... Uh, it, it, it's funny because, uh, you know, before I get to it, when, uh, when I was listening to the podcast, I'm like, you know, hey, I'm being edified. You know, I've listened to all the episodes pretty much. And, um, you guys started the show with Ivy's, uh, song. And I was like, oh, okay, it's not the all hell. And then when I started hearing the Batman comments, I was like, oh, that's God is sovereign, but that's perfect timing. Like, hey, I'm, I'm glad I don't want my comic friends to, uh, to think that I had anything to do with that, man. So, uh, that was perfect timing, man. And I was just playing. <laughs> yeah to answer your to answer your questions on man uh thank number one thanks for uh you know thanks for the encouragement brother and i appreciate what all you guys do as well and um yeah man just a couple of things man uh john you said uh the first blasphemy you said was uh that uh and i'm quoting directly you said the idea of batman beating superman is just ridiculous um dustin said that uh batman couldn't uh couldn't superman just throw something at him from far away like an asteroid or something um, IV, my good brother, IV Connery, all the way from California said that, uh, Batman, uh, 
Superman will smash Batman any given Sunday, and Batman is only about gadgets and gadgets. Uh, John, you said Batman is Bruce Jenner. (laughs) 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 Colin and Marcus said that they're Marvel fans and they really just don't care. Uh, (laughs) That's right. Preach it. Oh, wait, you're rebuking us? He's not into DC, so I'm feeling dirty even repeating these comments. (laughs) (laughs) Is he leveling these charges against that Post Mill podcast? Like, these are, we're bringing them up as, you know, grounds for excommunication and removal <laughs> yeah it's a good it's a good thing that we have our churches uh listed on the website so you can this is the inquisition our... this is the yeah. batman inquisition yeah, yeah it's funny because it's funny because uh uh what do you call it um colin even though he doesn't like he's a marvel fan he was like the only guy that kind of really was making an apologetic for batman so i thought that was uh <laughs> i thought that was kind of funny man but everybody else, man, I was just like, what is going on, man? I was, I was ready to turn it off, man. I felt like I was listening to, like, uh, uh, like, like, uh, 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 uh or something. <laughs> oh, 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 man. <laughs> Come on now. There's no reason to have those kind of insults. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Yeah, man. No, I was just playing, man. No, it was a good podcast, man. I just had, I had, I had some different, you know, different convictions, different beliefs. When it comes to Batman, you know what I'm saying? So I wanted to come on and t- kind of set the record straight, kind of explain some things a little better. Okay, well, well, give us your give us your reason why we are all um, uh, DC heretics <laughs> requiring <laughs> repentance. <laughs> well, 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 definitely, I, I would agree with you guys as far as, uh, number one, that if you look at, like, the movies lately, outside of, I think, Dark Knight is the best um, comic movie, you know, uh, movie that's related to comics, period. If you're looking at a movie, but I think the Marvel Universe has done a way better job over these last, uh, however many years, 10 years or whatever, building up movies, um, just how they correlate with, uh, you know, Iron Man, the Avengers and how they're tying everything in together. I think they're doing a really job, a really, really great job. But I would say DC overall, if you look at the comic book history, um, Marvel does a lot of, uh, biting, um, uh, for those who don't know, a lot of, uh, imitating or copying. Um, or borrowing from DC. Um, I think that the storylines are far more advanced. Um, if you look, if you go to any comic book store and you look at the comic books, I think the drawings are better. Um, I think that the, the DC, uh, uh, cartoon universe is better as far as the animated movies. Um, the TV shows of DC is way better than, um, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and stuff. But I, I do agree that, uh, over the years, DC has failed in a lot of its movies, like, you know, George Clooney. Uh, Lord forgive him. Uh, 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 Val Kilmer. Uh, some of these, uh, some of these failed attempts at Batman. But I do think Batfleck is going to bring it back. And, uh, I think Christian Bell did a great job, um, or whatnot. But, but I would say real quick, I think that Batman is the greatest, uh, comic, uh, uh, character, period. Um, I think that, uh, when you look at his storylines, when you look at his skills from his detective work, uh, uh, to the fact that, uh, you know, how he pretty much was just raised by his butler. And then he, you know, of course, went out on his own and that whole story. I mean, it'll take forever to get into that whole storyline. But uh, his fighting skills, his his technology, his money, everything that he uses to uh, fight crime. Uh, and, and on top of that, uh, you just look at, uh, you know, his villains. I think that Batman has the best uh, overall villains. Uh, you know, he has dozens. I mean, there's like 30 Batman villains that he has, and they're all pretty pretty much can hold their own. Um, but I, w- I would say... Uh, I think I forgot who asked it. I think it was John. 
uh, one of you guys asked uh, who would win in a fight between Superman and Batman. Was that John that brought that up? I think I, I do believe it's Superman. Okay. Well, it, it would definitely be Batman for a couple of reasons. Uh, the first obvious one is, um, uh, like Colin said, uh, Batman has all the, he's the only hero that has everybody's, uh, at any moment of time, he could defeat any hero because he has all their secrets. Uh, 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 for the purpose of if, you know, Superman ever went rogue. That's the basic reason. Uh, but the second reason, if you watch, uh, or even read some of the comics, Superman himself admitted, and I forgot what issue it was, Superman himself admitted that Batman could defeat him because Superman doesn't have what it takes to, uh, to, to deal with Batman. So pretty much Superman doesn't want to end a life. And, um, you know, you see in the movie Man of Steel was like the first time he kind of really had to kill somebody. Um, but he wouldn't go as far as Batman would take. Pretty much, uh, Superman was saying Batman doesn't have a heart, um, you know, uh, so much. So Superman wouldn't cross that line. And I forgot, I think it was Adam Moore or somebody who said, uh, what were you guys mentioning that, uh, that, that, oh, no, 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 I'm sorry, it was Dustin who said, you know, you're presupposing Colin that they had to meet face to face or something like that. Obviously, if they were, you know, if it was just on strength, Superman would destroy Batman. But Superman, if you study, if you look at the comics, Batman's always one step ahead of everybody. So even before Superman starts thinking that he's going to defeat Batman, Batman's already ahead of him. So I just think that Batman overall would win. Obviously, it doesn't make sense from 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 a, a power standpoint because Superman's an alien and he's got these superpowers. Batman's just a human with a, a brilliant mind and he can fight. Um, so Superman could thump him and kill him, obviously. But because Batman is who he is, based on how the writers have uh, written about him, I think that he would win. And and also, if you look at the comic history, every time they fought, Batman has won. That's another thing, too. Yeah, we know the thing about Batman is, though, he knows all of Superman's thoughts because he's got, like, the NSA spying thing going on. Like, remember <laughs> uh, The Dark Knight? Yeah. Where yeah. he had access to everybody's cell phones? So yeah. he, he's got that on lockdown. So he... He's like the anti-theonomist and the anti-libertarian. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The anti-theonomist, anti-hero. Yeah, so he's the anti-theonomy thon. Yep, yep, yep. Tapping yep. into every cell phone records. So, yeah, who, who can stand up against that? I don't think anybody. <laughs> yeah, he's kicking it with Obama, man. I thought it was interesting that in the, in the Dark Knight, he basically said, like, no one person should have this much power yep. when he was talking about that program that can, had all everybody's cell phones. And so he was like... He, he was very, very, very certain that he didn't want to make... He, he wanted to make sure that nobody was able to abuse it, and ultimately the program was destroyed, but... Yeah. But I'm going to use it just this once. Just this once. <laughs> That's what Obama says, too. Yeah, yeah, We're just yeah. going to get the bad guys. We're just going to get the bad guys. Don't worry about it. Don't <laughs> don't, don't worry about it. Yeah. The bad guys that we have painted a picture for you are bad guys. Oh, no. Uh-oh. Yeah. We oh, talk wrong about segment. This, wrong segment, Connor. Yeah, wrong segment. Oh. Wrong segment, sorry guys. Also, I would say this too, um, Batman. Uh, if you looked in, I, 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 you know, we could talk about the trailer a little bit too, because there's so much stuff. I don't know. You guys may have missed some of it, but um, if you follow the storyline in the comics or even Dark Knight the cartoon, which I recommend everybody go out and watch, uh, part one and two, um, Batman actually fights in a robotic suit um, that's like powered by kryptonite, and um, you know, so actually in the in the Dark Knight. Uh, uh, storyline, he actually defeats Superman. He doesn't kill him or whatever, but he pretty much wins the fight, uh, but in the story, he fakes his death. Um, so Superman thinks he's dead, um, but then he realizes he's alive because he, he heard his heart beat, and Batman does this whole like civil, civilization underground type thing or whatever. 
Um, and this is when like Batman is like in his fifties or late forties, something like that. Um, so they fought different times and, uh, Batman usually comes out the victor. So I think that's, I think Batman is going to win, um, in this, uh, Batman vs. Superman movie. Obviously he's not going to kill him. Um, but I think, uh, the, the, the victory will go to, uh, Bruce, uh, Bruce Jenner again. <laughs> Can you just tell us for a second why two of the good guys are fighting each other in the first okay. place? Yeah, let me tell you. Um, okay, so it's kind of like, uh, you know, what you guys said, uh, no one man, uh, you know, should, I kind of sound like Kanye West for those who listen to rap, you know, he has this song, no one man shall have all that power. Uh, well, basically, if you read even in the new 52, um, Superman and Batman, Pretty much, you have Batman and Green Lantern. Um, 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 they're they're like boys, and uh, so basically, uh, Superman is like you know they hear about Clark Kent, they know he's an alien from another thing, and he's like kind of doing his own thing, and so they're trying to kind of like in a sense kind of hold him accountable. Like, hey man, almost kind of like it's it's in a bad way. It's almost like I'm kind of going against Batman here for a second, but it's almost kind of like America where they where they try to be like, oh okay, I ran. You've got all these weapons. We've got to we've got to disarm you. You know, you've got to hand over your weapons because what if you what if you you know try to uh, come against us? So bat so they're kind of paranoid in this thing. Like, wait a minute, you got you got this crazy alien guy who's you know he can burn you up with his eyes. So let's kind of go try to hold him accountable. You know, um, and so pretty much. In the in the comic book, uh, they pretty much see Superman and like they're they're you know it's it's like if you, anybody who watches Justice League who's who grew up watching that, you see like there's always this conflict of interest between kind of like uh, uh, Iron Man and Captain America where there's two egos, and they both want to run the show. So it's kind of the same thing with Batman. Batman's like, hey, this is how things should be, and Superman's like, no, I want to do it like this. And you know, so Superman's got all the power, so Batman is threatened by that. So Batman is kind of like, hey, well I've got to I don't want to, I don't want to let you catch me slipping either. So I'm going to build this kryptonite suit and have this kryptonite on the side just in case you trip. And, uh, you know, it's just kind of like one of those things, you know, if you, for, for those who watch the Avengers 2 movie, um, you kind of saw that a little bit with Iron Man and, and, uh, which again, you know, that's Marvel copying, uh, DC. But, uh, but that's another story for another day. <laughs> Iron Man is the poor man's Batman. Superman is the, uh, well, go ahead. Well, I, w- I would say, I would say this. I think, I would take I would take Batman and Superman over Marvel period. See, I like I like Batman, but Batman's the only thing about DC that I'm a, that I'm a fan of. Like even Superman is a little bit a little bit wow. of a shallow character in my opinion. Wow. So, Superman blasphemy, I know. It's all it's all good, man. We'll we'll pray for you, brother. I, I know I know you're uh tossed to and fro when it comes <laughs> to the comics, so. <laughs> <laughs> I know. You're, 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 you're still, you're still single, brother. When you, when you get married, you'll see the light. A shallow uh, character. <laughs> what, bro? Superman shallow, bro? He's an alien from a, from a destroyed world. Yeah, no, but He's as far as learn- character development goes. Superman is Stan Lee's favorite character. And Stan Lee's Marvel. Ah, oh, man. I, I disagree, man. I, I completely disagree. I think he's had to learn how to adapt. Um, living amongst humanity as pretty much a demigod, but at the same time learning how to stay humble and and to honor life. That was that's not a perfect journey, by the way. He had to grow into that um, yep. with, with with the guidance of his father. You know, that's the only side of Superman, though. That's that's all he is. That defines his entire character, right there. You look at Bruce Wayne and Batman. Spoiler alert. Just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> you you look at you look at the development of Batman like. 
it starts out in his in the like pre story of Batman. It starts out where he's like jived up to be a ninja assassin, basically for this you know international secret organization, and then he realizes that like that's not the right thing to do, and so he's constantly changing and developing, and then he so then he comes back to his hometown, and he has he's conflicted because he sees the corruption. Um, but he doesn't want to defeat the corruption by becoming corrupt himself. So it's all sorts of fascinating conflicts derived from that. But, and one of the other reasons that I like Batman as well in, in the DC world is the, is the villains. Like you said, I think Joker is one of the best bad guys. Yes, spoken correctly. I, I would say Superman, man, uh, I agree with John that, uh, Superman is, his, his story is very complex, uh, just in the simple fact that not only is he an alien from another planet, but his whole, pretty much his whole planet was destroyed outside of, for those who look at the comics, you see that, um, his, uh, cousin actually, uh, 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 survived. She was actually, you know, older than him and, uh, actually came to Earth with him. It just depends on what storyline you read. The Supergirl? Yeah, Supergirl, yep. Yeah, there's, they're gonna be a new show on that. There's yeah. gonna be a new show coming up soon. Yep. That looks pretty good, actually. Yeah, yeah. Pr- pretty much his whole, um, his whole life, you know, he grew up with an identity crisis in the sense like, yo, I have these powers. He could easily become corrupt, take over the earth, you know, but he's trying to find out who his parents are, what is his mission, uh, while all the same time, like John said, pretty much, uh, uh, clothing himself in humility, basically. I mean, he is, uh, he is a picture of uh, a mosaic picture, a, a Christ type picture in, in a comic sense. I don't want anybody to think I'm blaspheming. But in a, in a comic sense, uh, even if you look at the Man of Steel movie, if you look at the, uh, uh, I bought the movie, if you look at the, uh, the, what do you call it, the, um, bonus features, Zack Snyder, they actually talk about Superman and they break it down how he's both mosaic and Christ-like. Um, and so they talk, they kind of break it down about him being the son of El and, um, you know, him being the savior and, and, and his parents realizing that he was a, a child of destiny and how, you know, they were dying, the other kids were dying, but they sent him to the planet to save his people, to save the people, uh, you know, just different stuff like that. So I definitely think there is a lot of complexity to Superman, um, you know, with him, with his code of honor, which is kind of like Captain America in a sense. Um, so I think there's a lot of stuff with him. He's just that, I, I think that reason why people think Superman is boring because so many people have tried to imitate it in, in other characters, like even through Captain America and different stuff where you have like this kind of patriot type guy and then people are just like man I want something different but uh as long as you like that man man you're good in my book well i guess i guess we can uh we can pray about it and and see if maybe the lord leads us to repent of our <laughs> blasphemy of batman but <laughs> i'm just kidding. I, I mean if 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 we can't if we can't uh, agree we just have to agree to disagree and go our separate ways and start separate separate podcasts exactly we're just going to have to break up the podcast so new denominations also, real quick, also real quick, if you guys watched, uh, you know, the Superman Batman trailer, that was actually like a teaser, but that was actually Superman's version of the trailer. Batman's will be coming later. So that was the trailer from Superman's standpoint. Um, um, Bruce's will be coming later, the, uh, the, the, the Batman trailer. But if you look at, it, there was a lot of things. I don't know if you guys remember, um, whoever, I don't know if you guys watch Man of Steel or not. Do you guys watch Man of Steel? I own I it. I watch it. Okay. Well, you remember when he killed uh, Zod in the train station? Well, they're actually they're actually saying that um, you remember when Batman went walks into this place? It looks like an old warehouse. They can't tell if it's like a train station or if it's like a it's like an old church or something. Where it looks like he's in a temple and it's got like the question marks on the wall in the trailer. Right. Well, they're actually yeah. saying that's actually Batman went to the scene where uh, where uh, Superman killed Zod, 
and uh, you actually look on the wall, their writings, it's, uh, it's, it's, Ag it's Edward Enigma, uh, Enigma's handwriting. So it's, it's a, it's a uh, Easter egg to the uh, Riddler, um, ah. you know, which, come, which, of course, will come down later. But um, so there's, there's a lot of things actually in the trail. I know we don't have time to kind of break down everything, but there's a lot of stuff. Like you see the false god thing with the Superman statue, and, and Batman's actually looking because mm -hmm. they actually took the storyline from Frank Miller, uh, which is an awesome, awesome writer or whatever. And uh, they took that, which is more of the darker Batman, where Batman's like in his late 40s, early 50s. And so when you see uh, Ben Affleck, you see Batfleck looking at the Bat costume, it's actually like Superman is actually drawing him back to be Batman. You know, like, uh, you know, this is like he's put the suit away. He's kind of moved on in a sense. And now he kind of feels like, hey, like this guy's kind of pulling me back to where I don't want to go, uh, um, you know, because of his, his uh, you know, because of who he is or whatever. And so, like, they're kind of building it up as a story. And also, too, in uh, Man of Steel, you guys remember when um, Clark, when he was on the ship at the beginning and the uh, the boat was exploding and then he was in the water and he was knocked out? That was the oil, the oil yeah. refinery. Yeah, that's right, the mm -hmm. oil refinery. Um, that was actually Aquaman who saved him. Ah, interesting. Yeah, they're going to, like, allude to that into the movie. So Aquaman, you'll see that. So there will be, like, a lot of connections in that, too. Like, Aquaman, I don't know if they're going to do it as where Aquaman grabbed him himself or if Aquaman sent one of like the dolphins or whales or whatever to kind of bring him to the shore or whatever. Um, so there's, yeah, so there's a lot of things in the trailer that I think people miss that will come up later. But as we start seeing more and more trailers and also one more thing, uh, the Suicide Squad movie, uh, Ben Affleck will be making a cameo as Batman and also Jared oh, Leto's, nice. Jared Leto's Joker will actually be in, uh, Batman and Superman. Oh, wow. It'll be like a brief cameo. I'm looking forward to the Suicide Squad. Me too. Actually, looks kind of fun. Me too. So, so you'll be a fan of of, of you'll be a fan of uh, DC in a couple years, Colin. <laughs> so, who's playing? Who's playing Aquaman? Is it the uh, is it the dude from Entourage? Jason Momoa. The uh, he's he's Samoan. Nice. Yeah, yeah. But guys, you guys, you guys remember the, the you guys know the show Entourage? Yeah. So, yep. Yep. You, you you remember like the movie star? Like his first big break was he played Aquaman. <laughs> yeah, well, it, it it was cool, Colin. It was cool. Well, we're actually going to get into some theological discussion in just a bit. So if you guys will stay tuned, we'll be back in a bit. We're going to talk about an introduction to all of the different views of eschatology. So stay tuned. Yeah, Don't you see that Jesus purchased me? See the blood on that mercy seat? As a man, he was born in Bethlehem, but he's from eternity. Now that's Bible. Micah 5 too. You believe he's God? Yes, I do. The only hero to die for the villains that's poetic like Haku. I was well, everyone, welcome back to that post mill. Uh, this is John, and I'm still here with Adam. Yo, what's up? And then we have Colin. What's up, dude? We have Shaney. Obviously. See, that voice is too great to be on every podcast because no one would want to listen to any of us. So oh, I, I get it. So I get it. <laughs> and then we have, speaking of voices on the podcast, uh, we have Mr. Jovan. Jovan, say what's up to the people. What's up? How y'all doing? Excellent, excellent. So we just had a really heated discussion. I'm still angry, but I'm going to let it go. I'm going to forgive my brothers. We're going to move on here. Um, no, it wasn't about baptism. If you remember the first segment, we were talking about comics. <laughs> we were talking about uh, Marvel versus DC, Superman, Batman. Um, some outlandish things were said. Some sound things were said. I'm not going to say who goes with what. But we want to get into something that is actually really heated. Uh, it can be heated, but it's also very intriguing. Uh it's no secret by now where, where this is episode 12 that uh, this is a, an issue that we love here on that post mill, and that is the issue of eschatology. Eschatology 
the word means uh, the la- last things, the study of last things. Um, it's important, though, to look beyond just that and unpack the term in terms of a biblical theology. And so when we say eschatology, what we mean is that the, the covenant of Scripture, the narrative of Scripture as well, lead to somewhere. There is an order. There is a structure. There is a plan. There is a destination. There is a place, a climax, all these things in Scripture. So when we say eschatology, we're not just saying, oh, the last days in terms of what's happening in the future. What we're understanding is that we is that God's covenant with his people, God's plan of redemption and restoration of the world um, is something that he is very in- interested in, is something that he is very committed to. And your eschatology is basically what do, is answering that question. What does it look like for the holy God of all creation to redeem and restore his creation. And Christians, we do come together and unified, understanding that the only way that he can restore and redeem that, that he has chosen is through the Son of God, that through Jesus Christ and his perfect work and victory, uh, he is bringing restoration, he is redeeming sinners, he is calling a people to himself. But believe it or not, and I know you, many of you know that you believe it because it's all over the place, there's a lot of disagreement, even though we might agree on that point, on those things. So um, I'm going to go ahead and turn it over to Colin, who's going to talk about, basically, Colin's going to do a great service for us, uh, and some of us will chime in as well. So, But stay tuned in this segment, because Colin's going to briefly walk through not only the main different uh, eschatological positions, uh, but he's also going to talk about a couple nuances, which I think a lot of people might not be aware of. And I think it's real important, don't get caught up. Uh, don't be scared of these terms. Embrace them. Learn what they are because they are part of our history. They are part of who we are as, as Christians. Um, we don't we don't base our salvation on these terms, but we do understand the scriptures and we can understand one another and understand what we believe by knowing theology and, and, and how to speak it. So Colin's going to walk us through different positions and things and just really be a great service. Colin, go ahead and uh, take us through that, please. Most people are aware of a few of the terms. They know premill, premillennialism, amill, amillennialism, and postmill, postmillennialism. Not not everybody's aware of the his, historical development of the terms because those terms themselves, you will like if you read anything older than about 100, maybe 150 years, you really won't find those terms popping up as often um, as you do nowadays. Nowadays, people talk about those those different terms. But historically, the terms developed in a little bit of a different way. The first eschatological disagreement within the church was between Kiliasm, um, also known as millenarianism or millennialism, and the people who disagreed with that view. And so they would the people who disagreed with it would be called anti-Kiliasts or amillenarians or amillennials. And that's where we have originally derived the term of amillennialist from that disagreement in the in the first the first disagreement of eschatology in the church. So the millenarian or Kiliast position was that in the future there would be a they would call it quote literal reign of Christ on the earth. What they meant by that was that there would be um, was that Jesus would set up a kingdom on the earth a physical. Um, earthly kingdom, and he would reign in Jerusalem, literally, as opposed to uh, metaphorically, symbolically, figuratively, however you, however else you want to turn that. The Antichiliasts or the Amillenarians said, "No, Jesus does not is not going to reign on the earth in the future. He reigns from heaven, 
And so they would take a, quote, non-literal view of the reign of Christ. And by non-literal, they meant not on the earth is what that meant. So they would, or a heavenly reign would be another way to, to describe it. So originally the terms were millenarian and amillenarian, people who believed that Jesus was going to be on the earth for a thousand years in a, in a physical kingdom, and people who said, no, Jesus is in heaven, the kingdom is a spiritual type of kingdom, and that kingdom is now. Those, that was the original disagreement, um, and by the, by the Council of Nicaea, and even, even by the development of the Apostles' Creed, it was, it was very well accepted view to reject the Kiliast position, the millenarian position. So if you read the Apostles' Creed and, and, the, and the Nicene Creed, they both say something very particular that the early Kiliast and millenarians would disagree with, and that is that, the, um, that Jesus had ascended to heaven and sitting on the right hand of the Father. We, agree, we all agree with that part, right? Everybody agrees on that part. But then it says, from thence he comes to judge the quick and the dead. So that particular phrase itself says that Jesus, who's currently sitting at the right hand of the Father, comes, his, so this is talking about the second advent, in order to judge the quick and the dead. And the reason that this was a, was a rejection of the millenarian Kilias position was that they believed that Jesus came to set up a kingdom on earth from Jerusalem and reign there. And the church rejected that view, um, in the, if you read the Apostles' Creed and the Nicene Creed, by saying that, no, he doesn't come to set up the kingdom, he comes to judge the living and the dead. So everybody, that, that, and that's talking about the, the final resurrection and judgment. He comes from heaven to judge the living and the dead. So that's the earliest development of those systems. Now, as things went on in history, millenarian views started to resurface now and then. Uh, one of the main proponents of millenarian positions were actually the Continental Anabaptists uh, j around the time of the Reformation. And those views influenced the views of even some of the Reformers. And so there were actually some Reformers who were what we would now call premillennial. But nowadays, when we talk about terms, we talk about them slightly differently. We say that there are dispensational premillennials distinct from historic premillennials, distinct from amillennials, distinct from postmillennials. Now, dispensational premillennialism and historic premillennialism are both subcategories of the Kiliast or millenarian position. So the original use of the terms, millenarian, Kiliast, would both be used to describe dispensationalism and historic premillennialism. And the reason that we say historic premillennialism is that the, uh, the earliest Kiliasts, the original Kiliasts in the first couple centuries of church history, all agreed with the anti-Kiliasts and all other Christians at the time that the church was the people of God, the one people of God, the true Israel, the Israel of God. So they would have looked at the distinction between the church and Israel concept of the dispensationalist and would disagree with that. Now, there were no dispensationalists at the time, so they weren't actually disagreeing with anybody. It was just the view of the church. And so we say historic premill because the view of the church up until the rise of dispensationalism in the 17th century Everybody agreed that the church is Israel, and Israel is the church, all one entity. That was not a disagreement. The disagreement was not um, about whether or not there's a secret rapture, because everybody agreed that the rapture and the resurrection were a singular event. So that's where, that's where we get that term, historic premillennial. And the reason that this concept of premill versus postmill came up 
was the discussion shifted from whether or not there would be a literal uh, reign of Christ on the earth for a thousand years, shifted from that to be at what point in time in relation to the millennium is Jesus coming back? So we all agree that Jesus is returning, but does he come back before the millennium or does he come back after the millennium? And so before the millennium, pre-millennial, after the millennium, post-millennial. So in this basic sense, both amillennials and post-millennials are, quote, post-millennial, in the sense that we agree that Jesus is coming back after the millennium. But both pre historic premills and dispensationalists, in this sense, would be both be forms of premillennials in this sense as well, because they both agree that Jesus is coming back before, before the millennium. But as the development of these terms came about, uh, there started to be even more divergence of opinion on other related issues. So we developed the term amillenarian originally to uh, to make the distinction between people who uh, who affirmed a literal reign of Christ on earth and people who rejected a literal reign of Christ on earth. But as things progress, uh, the term comes to differentiate between two different types of post-millennials. Since both amillennials and post-millennials agree that Jesus is coming back after the millennium, the distinction then becomes the nature of the millennium itself. So, whereas um, amillennials would say that in general, if, as you look through church history from the cross to the consummation, things are either getting worse and worse progressively in history, an increase of wickedness, prior to the second coming of Christ, or they would say that things are generally staying about the same, constantly cycling up and down, getting better, getting worse, getting better, getting worse, generally over the course of history seeing relatively the same. Those are the two different frameworks of amillennialism, whereas postmillennials would say that things are in general continuing to get better and better between the first and the second advent. That would be the primary difference between those two views whereas both dispensational and historic premills would agree with the amillennial position that things are, in general, getting worse and worse. You will uh, be hard-pressed to find a premillennial who thinks that things are actually getting uh, better, and you will be hard-pressed to find one that thinks that things are relatively staying the same. The constant cycle of good and evil undulation, if you want to use that terminology, that's very much an amillennial distinctive. Other views do not agree with that position. So the difference between dispensational premillennialism and historic premillennialism is that with the rise of dispensational premillennialism in the 17th century, the founder being primarily uh, John Nelson Darby, his view that he derived was that not, not only was Jesus coming back before the millennium, but there was almost this two-part coming, if you want to call it that. And that's a, that's a term that you'll hear people use occasionally. Um, and what they mean by that is that there's two aspects to Jesus' coming. There's Jesus' coming to rescue his church out of history, which they would call the rapture, and they would differentiate from the resurrection. This would be dispensational's view. And then the second coming where Jesus actually comes to earth to judge and punish those, make war with the people who persecuted the saints. So they would say there's a there's two aspects to the second coming. They'd say there's the secret rapture, which they believe happens prior to a seven-year tribulation, although a later development would say that it comes in the middle of a seven-year tribulation. And then even later developments would say that there is no secret rapture. The rapture actually happens at the end. 
But then at this point in time, the dispensationalists who say that Jesus comes back at the end of the tribulation or post-tribulational rapture dispensationalists um, are fundamentally inconsistent. I'll go into the, the issue as to why, but what they're doing is agreeing with the historic premillennials on everything except for the nature of the church in Israel. So whereas historic premillennialists had always agreed that the church in Israel were the same entity, dispensational premillennialists said, no, the church in Israel must remain distinct. And this is actually the reason that John Nelson Darby said there has to be a secret rapture, because God only deals with one people at a time. Two different peoples, the church in Israel. It started out as Israel in the Old Covenant. Israel rejected God. So there was the New Covenant, which was given sent to the Gentiles, different people of God, different plan, different way of working with God's, with a different people of God. And then they would say that in order for God to complete his plan with Israel, which was left incomplete because of their rejection of the Messiah, that has to happen in the future. And they believe that this happens during the tribulation. But because God only works with one people at a time, the distinction of church and Israel necessitates God removing the church from history in order to work with Israel separately. And so this is where John, uh, John Nelson Darby came up with this concept of the secret rapture or the pre-tribulational rapture, where, God, where Jesus returns to take the church out of history so that he can work with Israel again as he did before and complete all of the prophecies that were left undone. Whereas historic premills would say that, no, those prophecies are concerning the future of the church, not simply uh, national Israel, although they would they would say that there is some aspect of national Israel that is is uh, has something to do with those prophecies. They say it's not strictly national Israel, and that's why um, the second coming of Christ is the rapture as opposed to separating those two events. Now, amillennials and postmillennials both also agree or also believe in a rapture in the sense that we believe that that actually happens. It's First Thessalonians chapter four, I believe, but. We disagree with the dispensationalists along along with the historic premills. We disagree with the dispensationalists on the nature of the rapture. So we would say that the rapture is actually the what happens at the resurrection to those people who still remain on the earth alive. So for those people who are dead, they're raised from death to life. Their body goes from dead to living and is transformed into a glorified state. Whereas those who are still living don't have to die first, their body is simply transformed. And you can look at this in uh, 1 Corinthians 15 as well. The twinkling of an eye will all be changed. That's where that, that concept comes from. Um, so those are the basic sort of understandings of those different frameworks. But where it all really comes down to is the millennium. So whereas the dispensationalists and the premillennial and historic premillennials would both say that the millennium is a solely future thing, Amillennials and postmillennials are somewhat divided on the subject. Amillennials um, all believe that the millennium is a current reality. Now, whether they say that that is a purely heavenly reality or a reality that is in heaven and has some sort of consequences well on earth differs from amillennial to amillennial. Um, but hi um, historicist postmillennials would say that the millennium is future but that Jesus comes, still comes back at the end of it. And so they would say that the millennium is um, a period of peace in history in the future before the second advent, whereas preterist or idealist postmillennials, and we'll get to, into what those different terms means, uh, would agree with the amillennial that it's a present reality either in heaven or on earth in some sense. So those are the, those are the basic different frameworks for the millennial positions, and we will go into the different 
interpretations of New Testament prophetic literature in the next segment. So you guys stay tuned and we will be back in just a minute. Even though we still on earth, uh-huh. in heavenly places we're seated. Woo. Ephesians 2, you should read it. Uh-huh. It's only because we're in Jesus. Yeah. Well, I don't think some believe it. So. And I don't think that they see it. They, they think the church is defeated. What? But why we call him King Jesus? So one of the things that, that I'm, I've been interested in in my study of end times things is the idea of the coming of the Lord and and what that idea actually means. Now, there are a lot of there are a lot of biblical scholars, especially liberal ones, who who say that Jesus fully expected his kingdom to be realized during his lifetime, and then it wasn't, and that proves that Jesus was in fact a false prophet, and then so they dismiss him out of hand. But now there there's this idea of the coming of the Lord. We see it in James five. We see it in the the term the Greek term is the parousia or parousia, and it's the it's the idea of of the appearing uh, of the Lord. Now, many people I, I feel take this this idea and conflate it in, in with two different things. Like there's this idea that Christ returning in judgment or Christ returning in glory. And so, like a lot of times, people when people think Christ is coming back in judgment, they totally discount the whole events that have taken place at in 70 A.D. They don't they don't see that as an as an actual predicted thing that Jesus said. And, and I feel like we need to kind of parse out this idea of the coming of the Lord. Does that, whenever we see the word um, coming or returning, does that mean um, coming back to for the final end of all things? Or does that also include judgment on the, the generation of people to whom the Bible is written? Right. There are two basic views on what the parousia means. Um, and by and they're actually more than this, but the rest of them are heretical. <laughs> so hyperpreterists would say that parousia means metaphorical appearing, and so it's referring solely and only to judgment of the apostate uh, Jews in AD seventy. There is no there is no return of Christ. That's heretical. We reject that completely. I, I think that that the the church the 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 denomination called the Church of Christ, which I believe. The Robertson family from Duck Dynasty is part of that part of that church. Correct. Yeah, that makes sense. The Church of Christ, the United Church of Christ, is where hyperpreterism originated with okay. Don Preston and other people like that. Um, the view, the view where they took preterism to an extreme and said, "No, no, eighty seventy was the second coming. That's that's it. We're now in the eternal state, which is problematic for about a million reasons." Oh, and it stinks because we haven't reached that post mill yet, so. <laughs> well, that's this is the end. This is it just never ends. This is things keep going on in their view. And that's why it's completely, I mean, it's not even Christian. It's like Gnostic. What happens after the, the sun burns out? They're, they don't answer questions like that. Convenient. Yeah. That'll be the end of the Duck Dynasty then. They have to just say we don't know. But the Orthodox positions on, on what parousia means, everybody agrees that in some sense parousia refers to the second advent of Jesus when he's actually re- physically returning to the earth to consummate, you know, heaven, bring heaven and earth together again, restore creation completely, resurrect the dead, judge the living and the dead, everything, right? We all agree, everybody agrees that in some sense it refers to that. But in the Greek in particular, there are d- different words for coming. There's erkomai and there's parousia. And erkomai can be either a noun or a verb, but parousia is simply a noun. 
And so if you wanted to say the verbal form of parousia, you would have to use erkamai to describe it. That's why sometimes there's a little bit of confusion between those different Greek terms. But the all the English translations translate them all the same, coming. And one of the views about the parousia is that it's solely and only the second return of Christ. So only the visible appearing coming back to earth. Oh, wait, which which view is that? It depends from person to person because you can hold very very many different views on eschatology and, and hold that particular position about the word parousia. There's no way that I believe that based on just on James 5 alone. That's It's fair. Other people would say that it can refer to the second coming or to judgment in history. And that seems like what you're saying. And it's actually a subcategory or, or an aspect of, and I would say this, I would say that the term parousia refers to the reign of Christ based on Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. So where it says that, you know, behold, I see, saw in the clouds one like a son of man coming, and he came up to the ancient of days and was presented before him, and to him was given a kingdom and dominion and authority that all nations and languages and people should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that shall never pass away. And I, that's off the top of my head, so that's not verbatim. Look up the verse and see what it says for yourself. That's the CSV, the CSV, the Collins Standard Version. That's just, it's probably somewhere between ESV and NASB and KJV, KJV and NIV. Like, I just have read too many translations in my life to get the to get single one. Shaney is about to stone you right now. But so my view, and I think this is the view that Dr. Kenneth Talbot um, holds and John, you know him, so you can ask him and confirm this with him. I believe this is his position, and I think this is also the position of Gary Demar that the term parousia refers not to any particular advent judgment, but rather to the entire reign of Christ. So that coming was his coming into his kingdom, his coming up to the ancient of days, and so it's actually referring to the reign of Christ in history which includes historical judgments like AD 70, but not limited to AD 70. Even, you know, nations and peoples after that which are judged and going all the way to the second advent where he consummates the kingdom. So it's the whole reign of Christ, including the second coming. Okay, question on that. If we look at Matthew 24, verses 29 through 31, and then we take that view that's just articulated, then wouldn't we have to conclude that Christ's reign began in AD 70? No, because I don't believe that Matthew 24 is saying that is saying that Christ's reign began in AD 70. I think he's saying that the coming of the Son of Man was his ascension to the throne, and that AD 70 was the sign that the Son of Man was in heaven. The sign of the coming of the Son of Man. So the coming was the ascension and reign over his kingdom. But then in another sense, you can use the term coming in that same judgment context where you say that AD 70 was the coming of Christ because he comes in judgment upon people who are wicked. That's part of his reign is judging people who are wicked as well as him coming to us to dine with us. Like if you read through Revelation, the first couple chapters, Jesus threatens to come to two churches and says, repent or I will come to you and take away your lampstand. Or I will come to you like a thief. Or I will come to you and wage war with you with the sword that comes out of my mouth. Those obviously can't be referring to the second coming, right? But they also actually, this is, I mean, this is trippy. They cannot be referring to this to AD 70 either. Because those were churches that were not in, not in Judea. So when he's threatening to come to them, he's saying, 
I'm going to judge you, just like I have judged other people in like manner. For example, 8070. It's funny because, um, you know, we're talking about, you know, judgment stuff because, you know, I have a lot of people that, or at least a couple of people that, well, when it comes to the issue of post-mill, they'll say something like, for example, you know, if when we talk about theonomy and say, hey, we're under a tyrannical government, even though it may not look like China or uh, Iraq or Iran necessarily, it's still, uh, it's still the judgment of God in a sense. Uh, you know, the judgment of God is on this land. So they'll say, well, then they can't be post-mill because things are supposed to get better. And they don't understand that part of Christ's reign is him judging and ruling and surveying the nations. So when it talks about he rules with the iron rod. Yeah, yeah, Psalm, Psalm 2. And, um, you know, in him putting his, his enemies under his feet. And so if he's, you know, he doesn't need an iron rod in the eternal state because there's no, there's not going to be no disobedience. You know, there's no reason, there's no reason for correction. There's a, no, the iron rod is for, hey, if you don't submit, you know, then there's a rod, there's, there's some type of justice or, or, or judgment or punishment, you know, so that is not at all taken away from the post-mill hope of saying, okay, America's under judgment. That means that the world must be getting worse. No, it means that Christ is reigning and that America's being judged. Yeah, it means that America is getting worse. Yeah, right? yeah. America's getting worse, and if it continues to get worse, God will judge it. That's, That's right. what Psalm 2 says. That's right. Pay homage to the sun, lest he be angry, and you perish in the way. That's right. So there, there's two options. You either, you either affirm the lordship of Christ or eventually you'll be destroyed. That's right. It's it, it's Sodom or Nineveh. Is I think I always go to that. That's the two examples we see where you have two societies that are the, the same words used actually in Genesis six as we see for the wicked system and ways of Sodom and the wicked system and ways of Nineveh. The distinction is that we see that the word of the Lord is heard by the people of Nineveh to a point to where it gets to the king, and the king complete does a complete civil repentance as well. Uh-oh, Covenanters. That's right. National Covenanting, bro. It's the wrong podcast. Yeah, I well I, I do not I do not affirm that, but I do I do sympathize with it and I and I yeah, I got a lot of brothers that do. So Well hold on a second. Let's not gloss over this idea though, real quick, about about America getting worse and 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 kind of like what that means as far as the defense of that post mill. Because a lot of people will say that like, you know, look at where we were at a certain time and look at where we are now. And you have to say to them, like, you really need to, to make it pointed uh, and even putting it in the way that John put it, either we're Sodom or Nineveh. And so you really need to say like, we are not promised that America will be the land of the free home of the brave for the rest of our, for the rest of eternity. Like just because we, the, the charter, the charter members or the, you know, the charter founders of of the colonies said that we we're supposed to be a shining city on a hill. That doesn't mean that we will never, ever, go, like, you know, be with the gospel forever. If you take a look at the traveling of the gospel from, from Jerusalem to the Roman Empire to places like Germany and Britannia over to the United States and now into places like China, into places like uh, even Middle Eastern countries. So, so... America is not the end-all be-all and it could collapse and there could be no more America at all. Right. And that would be fine because the kingdom of God is not America. We say that like maybe 70% of people verbally affirm to be Christians in the United States, but really we're looking at probably 15 or 20% of people regularly attend church and are committed, like committed Christians in the United States. That's 
that's not very much compared to what we were when the nation founded. So in the nation, in the nation of the United States, we see a progression in the bad direction. But that's not contradicting post-mill because the world isn't the United States. That's one of the difficulties that people have is being too short-sighted. We see only what's surrounding us currently and not the bigger picture. Because places like like Africa, there are countries in Africa which 100 years ago there wasn't a single Christian and now they're like 50 plus percent Christian. Yeah. You look at the nation of China, 50 years ago Christians were like put in prison immediately or just shot on sight. Now there are so there are more Christians than communists to the point where the government literally cannot put all the Christians that are in China in prison. And so they have to ignore when an entire town of two or three thousand people turns to Christ. They have to completely ignore the public preaching the gospel that happens on the streets because they do not have the space for them in prison. I see a, I see a, uh, I always tell people I see a parallel between the Old Testament and us today as far as um, when you look at the church in America. I look at it as you guys remember when uh, Egypt, uh, uh, Israel came out of Egypt. And uh, I think it was supposed to be what they say historically it would have been like, what, a 40 day journey. Is that correct? Right. It should have took 40 right. days, but it took 40 years. It wasn't because God's promise didn't stand. It wasn't because God needed GPS or that God, you know, somehow, you know, just was like, hey, I'm not going to keep my word. He told them that they would see the promised land. And so the, the promise was that they would enter in. But because of their disbelief, their complaining, their sin, uh, uh, not taking God as word, God allowed them to go around a rock for four, uh, a mountain for 40 years. And, um, yeah. you know, when they were even, even when God told them, look, you know, 12 spies, Hey, I'm, I'm, I'm bringing you into a land. You know, he tells them directly, look, you can overtake them. It's yours. They go in there and 10 of these guys come back and say, it, they're, we're like grasshoppers. It's impossible. We give up. Right. And, you know, you have Joshua, who's a, who's a, who's a Hebrew and you have, uh, Caleb, who's a Canaanite, who basically say, Oh man, we can do it. And I kind of look at it as today with the pessimism, whether it's uh, Amil, you know, I love my Amil brothers, I love my Premil brothers, but this pessimism of look at the culture, look at the government, look at this, it's impossible. You know, it's, it's impossible. Yeah. Instead of like, no, let's not do newspaper eisegesis, what does the scripture say? The scripture says that he must reign until all his enemies are defeated, then he will return. So he's not returning right. until everybody's defeated. So do we believe? the word of the Lord, or do we believe like, man, this guy's 20 feet tall, you know, he's a giant, like we have no chance, but we have the Lord on our side, and so I, I see the same parallel of like a modern day Canaan, where it's like, yo, the, the, I heard one preacher say that the culture, the, 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 uh, the, the, the state of the culture is the church's, uh, report card, so if you, if, if you look at the culture and the culture is dying, it's decaying, it's because the church is not being salt and light. And so because we have such pessimism of, well, Jesus is going to return back tomorrow anyway, so why fight for politics? Why oppose government? Why have a 30-year plan for our grandkids when Jesus could come and crack the sky any moment? You know, or yeah. Jesus said it would get worse. So why should we be involved in this? Why should we fight for the culture or fight for um, to see change when the world's supposed to hate us anyway. And so when you have that type of mindset, if, if you're in a marriage, you know, I mean, you guys who are married know this, or even you guys who are single, any type of relationship, if you say, hey, my relationship's supposed to get worse and worse, what's going to happen? It's going to get worse. 
because that's how you think. Well, my kids are supposed to misbehave. You know, Jesus said they would they would act worse and worse. Well, then your kids are never going to do better because that's your mindset. Your mindset is this is supposed to happen. But if your mindset is like, no, the word says, God says that if I train my children up right, God says that if I'm, you know, et cetera. And so I think it's it's a cultural, it's a mindset of the church in America. Well, God said, you know, me and Colin joke about it all the time, just submit. Uh, uh, you know, I know the officer told me to, you know, you know, give him my life savings, but, you know, Jesus said just submit. And so since there's a bad, uh, 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 you know, there's a bad interpretation of scripture, it leads to every area of your life, man. And so I just see that parallel. Joe Vaughn, man, why do you, why, why you got to come on the Post Mill podcast and preach like that, bro? I got to be preaching like that, son. Hey, my, my apologies. We don't welcome preaching on that Post Mill. I'm just kidding. That was great. No, honestly, and bringing this all back to the whole Perusia concept, like, like Jesus went, like, you look at those couple, first couple chapters in Revelation, and there's those coming in judgment that he threatens to specific churches. And the very last one, he says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. And if you open it, I will come to you and dine with you. Now, what is that talking about? That's talking about the Lord's Supper, right? When do we dine with Christ? When we take the Lord's Supper together. So clearly, it, there's a coming in judgment and a coming in uh, fellowship, right? So the reign of Christ is not simply Christ judging the nations, but also in fellowshipping with his church. And that's why, I mean, we call it the Lord's Day, which in Greek is the identical term for the day of the Lord, which is a term specifically used for judgment. And I think that the term the day of the Lord is talking about judgment in history, either AD 70 or the, you know, throughout the inner advent period. Those are their various days of the Lord, just as in the Old Testament. God judged nations. The day of the Lord happened for the nation of Assyria, the nation of Babylon, the nation of Egypt, etc., etc. And that continues to happen today where God judges nations for refusing to bow the knee to Christ, as we see in Psalm 2. Just, I mean, think about this for a second. Imagine if the first couple centuries after the church began at Pentecost, imagine if the first couple centuries of Christians thought to themselves, here we face pagan Rome and there's nothing we can do about it. Now, they continued to preach righteousness. Many of them were killed for it. They continued to, to preach the truth of God. They continued to spread the gospel throughout the Roman Empire, despite intense persecution. And what happened with Constantine? He was converted, and he made Christianity the religion of the entire nation. So when we, when we look at the world around us and we say, things are continue to get worse and worse, there's no chance. Like, we have no idea what God could do. God could, God could change the heart of every member of the Senate. Imagine if Barack Obama converted to Christ right now. Would that not change the way that the nation worked? Radical change. That can happen. It's possible. So we need to continue to pray for our rulers as well as preach righteousness to the society around us. Yeah, well, I was going to say, you know, the idea of, of judgment. Like, is there any possibility that God can spare a country that killed 56 million people if they repent really what, what happened to Nineveh Nineveh probably killed more people than that yeah and and not just kill people but like we we have this concept like killing people is the worst possible thing that you can that can happen and it's definitely worthy of the death penalty but biblically so is adultery so is any you know so are various huh. forms of fornication and idolatry kidnapping imagine imagine how much more of that there was in Nineveh than there has been in America 
Nineveh should have been burned to the ground instantly, but God gave them an opportunity to repent. Why do you think that, why do you think Jonah was so mad that God gave him an opportunity to repent? He was mad because they didn't deserve an opportunity. Uh, that particular generation of Nineveh, they repented, but Nineveh as a whole was actually destroyed. Eventually, yes, that's correct. Because while that generation repented, it didn't last. Right, so what we see sometimes is God will postpone his judgment as a response to the uh, to repentance from a particular generation, like when we see even Ahab, when he when he feared at the word of the Lord, he postponed judgment uh, until his son, simply because of that. But the judgment was still inevitable, right? And also, you know, to the to the point of God judging people, still judging nations in history. I know for some reason, I used to think that in the New Testament, God doesn't do that anymore. He just lets the wicked prosper and uh, dominate. But I mean, there's so, there's so many scriptures, like, uh, Ecclesiastes chapter eight says, uh, though a wicked, though the wicked do evil a hundred times and still lives and, and lengthens life, still I know that it'll be well for those who fear the, fear God. You know, Psalm 37 is another great one that's just speaks tremendously to this, to this topic. Uh, scripture says over and over and over again, and there's even a, a verse, um, in Proverbs, I think it's Proverbs 11, that explicitly s- you know, speaks about judgment in earth uh, for the wicked and reward in earth, on the earth, uh, for the righteous. Uh, Proverbs eleven thirty one. If the righteous will be rewarded in the earth, how much more the wicked and the sinner? Sometimes you just have to ask people if they still believe these scriptures. You, you know what else, uh, Shaney, just to piggyback? You guys know like uh, like, like the Hindu nations uh, overseas. A lot of those places have been in poverty for years, uh, for, for centuries. Um, and if you look at it, like a lot of people look at it, like there's a lot of paganism in America. We're on a decline. But even though there's a lot of paganism here, you know, when you look at like Sodom and Gomorrah, you know, Abraham was pleading like, Lord, if there be any righteous, spare the city, et cetera. Um, you look at like America, there's still a lot of godly churches. Obviously, there's more apostate. Um, but I think theonomy is on the rise. I think that uh, reformed, sound biblical doctrine teaching um is is on the rise, uh, even in the even in the midst of a decline. So there are still soldiers. There's still a lot of Christians here battling, even though it's not, you know, obviously it's not uh, what we would like. But you look at a lot of these countries that have been poor forever. It's been idolatry for centuries. You know, they've been worshiping uh, uh, all these different gods, and and they 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 haven't had rain, and they haven't had uh, availability to basic doctors, and they haven't had clean water, and um. You know, a lot of times we look at that and we're like, man, you know, that's, you know, it's just a poor area. But we don't stop to think, why is it like that? You know, and it goes back to the Lord or even even you look at a lot of these, um, you know, uh, when the Bible talks about if a city is destroyed, was it not the Lord? I mean, you look at a lot of these, uh, you know, they right. call it Mother Nature or natural disasters. But a lot of it is just God's judgment. It doesn't mean that, you know, like you look at New Orleans, it doesn't mean that they were destroyed because they were um worse than, you know, Kentucky or Miami or ever, but just like God said in, uh, Christ said in Luke 13, he said, you know, did the tower fall because they were, you know, because they were worse than you? No. But unless you repent, you will likewise perish. You know, so God, God, and sometimes he can, he can destroy a nation who doesn't deserve it as much as another nation, but the nation that deserves it, he can show his long suffering and ultimately still judge them. So just because something doesn't happen doesn't mean that they don't deserve it or it's not coming. It's just that the Lord is kind and says, hey, you know, like he told 
Moses, I have mercy whom I have mercy. And so I think when you look at overseas, especially, you see a lot of that. Just they've been, I mean, you study their culture. They've never really had a Christian culture. It's always been thousands of gods or it's always been Islam or whatever. And so you're seeing the judgment of God uh, 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 through the centuries over these nations. So just because he hasn't completely wiped them out to where they still exist, you're still kind of seeing that. And you're starting to see that here, too, in America. You know what? I wonder... Here's the other thing. It's it's not even just um, like for for a country like India, for instance. They have like this caste system, which completely denigrates the the lower the lower class of people, and the, you know they have the untouchables and things like that. And I I wonder if like you have the passages in the Bible that says like if you if you break the bonds of uh, you know break every yoke and and if you do all these things. And I what's the passage in Isaiah that says? Um, if you take care of the, the, the stranger and the, the widow and the, the poor person and the foreigner, then your light will break forth like the dawn. And so, like, I wonder, like, as just random godless political forces sweep through the nation and, and like, change things like the caste system in India, which I think there have been reforms, like, does that type of thing, I mean, through God's providence, open the door to, to, to spiritual blessing that's, that just kind of like is a happenstance outside of outside of like turning to Christ. And then like, that's what God uses to, to, to turn the rest of the hearts of people to, to himself. I, I just want, this is kind of like esoteric things that, that you won't probably find in, in theology books. But I'm just kind of wondering that. that type yeah. Of thing. It's, it's one of those that we don't know how God works when it comes to things like that. I mean, John Piper, for all the things I disagree with him on, he's, he said something one time that just like, really resonated with me. He said, you see one thing, you see, you see one thing happening. God's doing a billion things. You have no idea. Mm. You have no idea all the things that are going on that God is using for his glory. And so while we see our, our finite, tiny little circumstance and things seems like it's not going very well, or we look at something, somebody else's circumstance and we say, you know, like hurricane destroyed, you know, an entire village that looks like a bad thing. But God can totally use that to turn people's hearts to him. You know, you have no idea what he could do with that. So, anyway. Amen. I have uh, Talbot's view of the parousia, if you want it. We are in the parousia. It is not particular, but a durative, a, a, a durative event. It means, literally, presence of Christ. It commenced in 70 AD with the judgment of Israel, and it ends with the judgment of all things at the consummation of history. Uh, it has two uses in the Greek language, presence and coming. The classical use was a durative verb. I believe it parallels the reign of Christ, and it is about judgment and redemption. This strengthens the post-millennial view. Thus I will be, be with you till the end of the age. Pray the kingdom come, thy will be done on earth that it is in heaven. Christ is with us in worship, baptism, Lord's Supper, and daily by the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, his spiritual presence. So... Yeah, I agree with that, although I would say it even goes back to Pentecost and, and the Ascension. Hmm, I'd like to hear more of that that idea, the, the, the Ascension, things starting at the Ascension. Because, for instance, like Stephen says, Behold, I see the heavens open and, and talking about Jesus kind of coming. I see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of the Father. I think that is, that is the parousia. There's the Son of Man coming yeah. on the clouds. Hmm. But what is, what it, where is he coming? To earth or to heaven? To heaven. 
Psalm 2 and 12 uh -huh. Kiss the son of Paris If you're waiting for him to come and reign And you're in error On the throne of David the Savior's already there This is something that some in the church are not aware of Welcome back to Dad Post Mill uh, we're going to wrap things up today with just a brief explanation of the four different interpretive frameworks of prophetic literature in the New Testament. The framework with which most people are typically familiar, and this would be the framework of all dispensationalists, most historic premillennialists, some amillennialists, and no postmillennialists, is futurism. Futurism is that when we look at the book of Revelation and other prophecies concerning um future things in new in the new testament this interpretive framework says that these things are yet to come for us so they are not events that occurred in the past nor events that occur in our lifetime but are events that are yet to come in the future the um view called preterism is a view that is held by no dispensationalists some historic premillennialists some amillennialists and some postmillennialists is that the majority of the book of Revelation and the majority of other New Testament prophetic literature is pertaining to events that have already gone by. And the word preterist means, refers to things gone by. And so by saying that, if you say that you are a preterist on a certain passage, that means you think the passage has already been fulfilled. So as a general interpretive framework, especially when we look at the book of Revelation, people would say that the majority of the book of Revelation, especially chapters 4 through 19, are pertaining to events that occurred in the past, particularly the events surrounding the destruction of Jerusalem in AD 70. A historicist framework, which was one held by no dispensationalists except for, and there's a very small qualification, except for the first, uh, the letters to the seven churches in Revelation. Some dispensationalists only, and usually only the earliest dispensationalists, such as a Darby, Schofield, Ryrie, some of these gentlemen held the view that the letters to the seven churches were a picture of all church history. So they would look at each church as a progressive stage in church history. And the historicist view in general is that New Testament prophetic literature is generally referring to historical events progressing from the first coming to the second coming of Christ. And this is different from idealism in a few respects, which we'll get to when we talk about idealism. But in general, historicist views would look at the book of Revelation almost like a chronological map of church history. So starting at the first advent and progressing to the second advent, they would look at the book of Revelation as almost like a timeline spanning the entire history. Um, and as I said, dispensationalists, early dispensationalists, classical dispensationalists, held this view only in, with regards to the letters to the seven churches. There are some premillennials in the past who have held forms of this view. There are both amillennial and postmillennial uh, interpreters in the past who have held this view, such as uh, several of the reformers, Calvin, Luther, and, and others, the Puritans, held this view. But nowadays, people who hold this view are generally uh, covenanters. And that's not even all covenanters, but those would be the people who are definitively, who definitively hold that view, such as Francis Nigel Lee recently. It's a minority position today, uh, but I don't think it should be completely discredited because it used to be actually a very popular view. So we would, we should, we should take it seriously, at least in how it interprets some things, uh, whether or not we disagree with it.
And then idealism is the view similar to historicism, which spans both from the first to the second advent. But the difference would be that when idealists look at, for example, the books of uh, Daniel and the book of Revelation, idealists would see it as a series of visions that recapitulate. All millennialists who are idealists would look at the book of Revelation and say it's a series of seven judgments. And so this judgment spans from the first advent to the second advent, and it's constant recapitulation, uh, heightening the judgment from one vision to the next. And so in this perspective, like historicists, it spans history, but unlike historicists, rather than pertaining to specific events, it's pertaining to all of the events at once. So each vision, rather than being a progression in sequence, each vision is looking at the whole of church history from a different perspective. And even some post-millennialists hold this view, like Warfield, Rush Dooney, uh, Milligan, Hengstenberg, and a few others. Uh, Martin Celebretti, who we had on as well, would be an idealist post-millennial. See the same sort of concept, but rather than merely um, an increasing judgment, it's also a progression towards the total victory of Christ in history. So those are the four basic interpretive frameworks of futurist, meaning the events in Revelation are future, preterist, meaning they're mostly past, historicist, meaning it's like a timeline spanning history, specific events, and idealist, meaning that it's uh, referring to concepts that are true throughout history. And so rather than a sequence of events, it's a series of recapitulated visions spanning church history. So that kind of, hopefully that sort of gives you kind of a big picture of the different views on eschatology. As I said, dispensationalists would be almost entirely futurist, with the exception of some classical dispensationalists held a historicist position on the letters to the seven churches. Uh, historic premills have been futurist, preterist, and even some historicist. There are some amillennial futurists, very few, but some. Most amillennials and postmillennials are either preterist, historicist, or idealist. Well, Colin, thank you, bro. You definitely uh, do your homework, man. Your diligence is a blessing to a lot of people, man, and I, I'm glad that we can use this, have you here on the podcast to, to let our listeners uh, really just help to get a grasp on where to begin and look and understand these terms. And I mean, because it can be pretty overwhelming if you, uh, if you, if you don't really have some, some help at first, I think I, I still need help. Um, I would like to maybe, uh, Jovan, if you could maybe, uh, just let, let, let our listeners know where they can contact you, where they can support you. Uh, maybe, maybe briefly tell us, I, I hear that you're into some, some, some new things coming on the Lord's doing, if you can just give us a, a, a brief, just uh, catch us up with you and also what ways that our listeners can contact you to get your music or support you or, or hear from you and, and all that. Yeah, um, yeah, I appreciate you. Um, they, they definitely can go to my website. It's actually under construction right now. We're actually building it up again. But my website is uh, com. That's J-O-V-A-N-M-A-C-K-E-N-Z-Y, com. But they can also reach me at uh, twitter.com forward slash uh, Javon McKenzie. And then same thing with Facebook. Everything is Javon McKenzie. So if they type in Javon McKenzie uh, in the search engine, it's pretty easy to find me. Uh, I usually uh, check my Facebook every day and my uh, Twitter. So uh, they can contact me, man. And uh, basically just got a lot of couple things going on. We're trying to plan a church down here in Massachusetts. Uh, also, um, also, just you know, trying to do some other things with the music, man. So really, trying to just be kingdom minded, take the uh, 
post-mill uh, theology and live it out practically as far as uh, just taking dominion, man, wherever God has us, man, and just really trying to impact the culture uh, with the uh, power of the gospel, man. So that's that's really all that we have uh, going on right now. That sounds like a lot, bro. <laughs> yeah. We really appreciate yeah. you donating the song for the that w- that we used for the first nine episodes or so. It's been awesome. Hey. I'm s- I'm totally putting it back in for this one for sure. Hey, hey, no, 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 no problem at all, man. Shout out, shout out to Batman. And it is rumored that unlike I guess we had on the show a couple weeks ago, Ivy Connerly, we hear that you actually know how to freestyle. Would you be interested in a very short rap battle with our own? John Howell. Oh, I don't battle, man. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I don't I don't battle either, man. I haven't freestyled it forever, but yeah, I can always I can always freestyle, man. It's like, you know, riding a bike, man. I could just, you know, say a bunch of stuff, but uh Let's see how it goes. I'm gonna start beatboxing. Jovan, you start off and John, you finish it up. Alright, man. Sounds ready? Fun. Okay, cool. Here we cool, go. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, yo, we got Shaney, Colin Pearson, and John Howe, Javon's pals. You know how we do it? Yeah, that post mill. It's so real. You know we got the sheep. I wonder how the ghosts feel on Judgment Day. Ain't talking Terminator 2. I'm talking on a Schwarzenegger. You know Javon's a Negro. I'll come to Scorcher, baby. Yeah, I'm still flowing like my last name, Rivers. Still getting it in. Uh-huh, cut you with scissors. That post mill. You know I'm just a black man. Yeah, I heard they was masking and Batman. So I had to come through like, man, these cats is whack. And I'm just freestyling. Styling for free. You know that he's smiling. Calling on the beat. Like we on the island. Just chilling on the phone. You know, Skyping. Getting it in. MacGyver. You know, all night in. And we got Shaney. Uh-huh. Yeah, it's like, gonna pay me. Nah, it's just for free. So I'ma go ahead and slavey. Like the Dragon Kirk Cameron new movie. Shout out to IV and them. You know, I'm like Scooby. Do and the whole crew, uh-huh, post-mill, yeah, what you gonna do? I'm just freestyling, playing the game, you know, on my phone. You know, low-maintenance, I'm the home, uh, until God take us home. He's on the throne, so I gave you all hell, now I'm going all farewell. Yeah, don't really know what I'm saying, just know that I'm freestyling, just know that I'm a super saiyan. Goku, Gohan, Jovan, yo, uh, uh, <laughs> nah, <laughs> go ahead, John. <laughs> nice, All right, John, bro. your turn, are you ready? Colin, you all right, man? You, you, you take a breath, man. You good? I take a breath. You got I'm some ready endurance. to go. Here we go. You got some endurance, Colin? Yeah. So. Last week, I had a vegetarian. He didn't like meat, so I took a chicken wing, decided to eat it. But dispensationalists think that we're defeated. I got the word of God sustenance, the milk is feeded. Never depleted, my ammunition is eternal. Understand the reason the wrath is burning infernal. My crew is the dopest, the scripture when I quote this. Never will I stop until the day, no hocus pocus. Stand upon the providence of God, it's eternal forever. And I know me and my squad is called to be, we used to be some henchmen. Then now we are reformed and sit back ever since then. Rapping my first verse since before the Simpsons. Put the first episode out, but no wigginsmen. But don't talk about my old days, Ernal. I am finite. I praise the only God that is eternal. So we sit back, oh, when it's on. I got my pipe, and I delight. Never psych. Like the old days when I was riding a trike. And now I got a two-wheel seater, but go be yike. But I got my Samsung phone, Galaxy 4. It's old school, and it's cheap. So yo, could we your? I can give more money to my church. Because that's how we do it, because we got 
death and the new birth, the rebirth, the sound of the earth, sitting and spitting, words not even written with my critical condition. Grab the microphone, nah, never did intimate, but I understand because I got more than comprehension. It's the deep internal of the law internalized, and it's right and deep with all so y'all cats can realize. I'm waiting for awakening, I'm praying for the things to be realized so the spirit can revise. Or maybe we can go with revival, sit back and understand because the ocean when it's tidal and it's tribal, y'all your nationalism, you need to stop your schisms and change all your religion, all under your decision, trying to think that Christ needs you, but come around with a time because he sees through. Seeing as we have a great high priest pass through the heavens, Jesus Christ, the son of God, hold past your confession, hold a fast and lesson, put down your Smith and Wesson, and understand the teachers when we bring in all the lessons. We come around and come around because we essence and we sit back and we love them, praise them in his essence. Yes, sir. That was awesome. <laughs> yes, sir. You can get us at datpostmail.com, find us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, and keep hashtagging datpostmail. Postmail, don't you know? Don't you know the postmail from Minnesota? From the werewolf. And the meat, Jesus said that the earth they shall inherit. Some think it's getting worse, but how Jesus removed the curse. He has dominion from sea to sea to the ends of the earth. Now he's reigning from heaven. May all the kings bow down before him and all nations serve him. Psalm 72 11. This an anthem, this song is not an apologetic. This is a song that lets you know Christ is king, cause I read it. If you want to debate, Name a time and place and we'll get it. Yes. The progression of the kingdom of God is where my head is. Uh, a post-millennial age is where we're headed. Christ is conquering the nations. Yeah, I said it. Jesus the Messiah brought the expected kingdom on time and as planned. He is seated and reigning now. His kingdom will grow in history through the preaching of the gospel and the power of the Holy Spirit. The world will experience the transformational blessings the peace with God brings. Jesus will return for the resurrection of the just and the unjust after, after all his enemies are put under his feet in victory. The last enemy is death.